two short readings this morning. The first one is from Romans 12, beginning at verse 1. That's page 1210. Romans 12. Oh, sorry, Hebrews. (laughs) I'm looking at Hebrews and saying Romans. Hebrews chapter 12, sorry. (laughs) Thank you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And now over the page... To James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. A special hello if you're listening via the church website. Can I show you a few pictures? Who is this? Nicola Adams. Adams. Yes, fantastic. Have you boxed yourself? No. She's a boxer. I don't know if any ladies this morning here have engaged in boxing. No. She won a gold medal for Great Britain flyweight at the London Olympics in 2012 and again in Rio de Janeiro in 2016. Now look at this painting. It's the stoning of Stephen, and Stephen was, um, so they say, the first Christian martyr. How about this one? It's black and white, which maybe gives you a clue, or not, as the case may be. I can't hear, sorry. Zatopek, yes, well done. It is Emil Zatopek, the Czech who in 1952 won a gold medal in the marathon in the Olympic Games. Um, It was his first marathon, and he broke the world record. He'd already won the 5,000 and 10,000 metre golds, and his winning time of 2 hours, 23 minutes and 2 seconds meant that he was, in fact, doing each mile in about 5 and 3 quarter minutes. Um, It was also, incidentally, his third world record in the Olympic Games in just over a week. Now the world record, if you're interested, is apparently two hours, 1.39 seconds by the Kenyan Kipchoge. That was Berlin last year. But the fantastic thing about that is he ran every mile in about four and a half minutes. I find that fantastic. I was then going to find some gruesome painting of a Christian being martyred or suffering some extreme form of torture, but I decided to spare you. But if you look back to Hebrews 11, the chapter before the one we read, you hear about some of the heroes of the faith. We like to concentrate, don't we, on those who came out on top, Abraham, Noah, Moses, and so on. They were tested in different ways and benefited from it. But then the writer mentions that some were imprisoned, stoned, flogged, even sawn in two, which seems to me absolutely horrific. Is there a pattern here? All those mentioned suffered hardship. They were under the kosh. Emil Zatopek trained with great determination and perseverance. He showed great discipline as he went on to win his races. As for Nicola Adams, I must say I'm not at all happy about women boxing. And I wouldn't want my daughter to take up the sport. 
Indeed, I've got reservations about boxing for men. But, and it's a big but, the one thing boxing teaches you is discipline. Boxers don't smoke, they don't drink alcohol, and they're very fit physically. They have to be. I know it's sad to hear very occasionally about boxers who are killed in the ring. But on the plus side, there are so many lads who could so easily have turned to crime. But boxing instilled in them a discipline which served them well in life. Both Nicola Adams and Emil Zatopek know hardship and discipline, but they reap the benefits. Stephen's considered to be the first martyr of the Christian faith, and he suffered a horrendous death by stoning. If you could see his face in that painting, it's, it's difficult, I know, from a, from a distance, and it's difficult to see exactly what the expression was, but you'd notice that the artist did his best to show that Stephen was at peace. If you read the account of his death in Acts chapter 7, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How would you have felt in that situation? Would you have been at peace? I rather think that I would have struggled to put it mildly. It's strange, isn't it? But hardship and discipline, those words sound so depressing, don't they? Real doom and gloom stuff. Why is that? Just recently, I've been trying to do some simple Pilates stretching exercises. That requires discipline. And I must admit, I don't enjoy doing it. I look forward to the sense of relief when it's all over. <laughs> but more importantly, I feel better for having done it. It's worth it. The word disciple comes from the Latin discipulus, meaning pupil or learner. So whether the discipline we experience is something we choose for ourselves or is imposed by somebody else or by adverse circumstances, we can still learn from it. In Hebrews 12, we're encouraged to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy? You may say, crucifixion doesn't sound much fun to me. When I go to see Shrewsbury play and the team score a goal, we all jump around and feel very excited. Although you wouldn't have done yesterday. <laughs> the players go crazy and hug each other. But that's not joy. Surely, joy is a much deeper emotion which remains there even when the chips are down, like yesterday. In Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 11, we read, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Actually, I find the message version much more accessible. And it says, at the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. The second reading was from James, wasn't it? And James really takes the bull by the horns. After his greeting, the first thing he does is to claim that hard times are fun. Okay, that's the Ivan translation. But it's clear that James can see positive value in trials and tribulations. The message again, the message version again. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Be encouraged by the Apostle Paul, who is, to my way of thinking, the Indiana Jones of the New Testament. Why not treat yourself to a pot of tea this afternoon? Sit down and read through his roller coaster adventures. You'll find the dizzy trail of events in the Acts of the Apostles. It's stirring stuff. He was stoned, whipped, beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, everything. It's all there. So do read about him. And he wrote a number of his letters from prison. But in spite of his many trials and tribulations, he was still able to say in Romans 8, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. What an encouragement for us and what a challenge. I must admit that I'm a great fan of the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis, which I'm sure you know. In fact, anything C.S. Lewis writes is worth reading. But (coughs) this is how he refers to heaven at the end of the last battle. And I quote, All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's so beautifully expressed. I wish I could write prose like that. Back to Paul. Paul, together with Barnabas, was persecuted in one place, but it's recorded that they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's in the book of Acts. They experienced hardship, but it didn't bother them as God was with them. How wonderful. And then again, in Acts 16, Paul and Silas were beaten with rods severely flogged 
Easy to read this, but very hard to suffer it. (laughs) They were beaten with rods, severely flogged, thrown into prison, and had their feet fastened in the stocks. So what were they doing at midnight? Having a snooze? Not likely. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. But here's the one that really gets to me. One day, the apostles were flogged and ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. Now, in that situation, I think I'd be tempted to breathe a sigh of relief and move on. Not a bit of it. They rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. What a testimony to their faith. To be under the cosh and come back for more. And yet, it can be so easy, it's so, so easy, isn't it, to read about these events in the Bible and think, hmm, there's something really unreal about it all. That was 2,000 years ago, but life in 2019 is a bit different, isn't it? Or is it? Now, you may know this man. There we are. Does anybody know who that is? Um, If you think back to Blue Peter, no? No? (laughs) You'll know him, or maybe you don't, but possibly not his wife. It's Simon Thomas, who used to be one of the Blue Peter presenters before he joined Sky Sports. Nobody remembers. He was married to Gemma, that's his wife, Gemma. But she was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. And Simon was utterly convinced that his wife would recover. But just three days after being diagnosed, his 40-year-old wife passed away. You could say that he was really under the cosh. But this is how he put it. And I'm quoting here. I just had to accept that even with faith, life can still be very unfair. And there are going to be questions that we will probably never find out the answer to. And I've found I just have to let go of it. He went on. I've never really understood. Sorry, he talked about experiencing a peace that surpasses all understanding it mentions in uh, Philippians 4 verse 7. He went on, I'd never really understood what that verse meant. Is it just being in a happy place in life? But I understood for the first time what it actually means. And it's finding God's peace in the most chaotic and scary places. Isn't that encouraging? Enjoying God's peace. Enjoying God's peace in unfortunate circumstances. Who is that? Tim Farron. Well, you know about Tim Farron. 
the former uh, Lib Dem party leader who was hounded by the media concerning his views on gay marriage. Here is a quote from Tim. This is what he said. If I'd not been through the trials and tribulations of my leadership, I'd not be in the position that I am in now, where I can talk openly about my faith. If you've given up the thing that you most wanted to achieve in life, for me it was being leader of my party. If you've given up the thing that you most wanted to achieve in life because there's something more important, it's so important you then focus on that thing, which is following Jesus. Tim has had a tough time, but he has come through it all and feels it was hard but worthwhile. And he has had many opportunities to talk about his faith. I must confess at this point that it's very easy for me to stand here and dish out advice. Words are cheap, and they're only words after all. And I can say all the right things and give you all the right answers, but actually doing it, that's another kettle of fish. If you go along to London Road, near the crematorium, you'll see an old-fashioned signpost which points to the town centre. It says, Salop, one mile and six furlongs. Do you remember furlongs? I do hope they never get rid of these relics from the past. Now, you see that sign. It is not the town centre, and it can't physically carry you to the town centre, but it does point you in the right direction. So, think of me as a signpost. I'm pointing the way. In a minute, we're going to sing the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And that's a hymn which always stops me in my tracks. So often, when the going gets tough, we bust a gut to do all we can and then turn to prayer as a last resort. Does that resonate with you? I'm afraid we're all guilty of it. Why don't we pray first before we do anything else? We know we should. So why don't we? It reminds me of a story I heard of, um, I think it happened in Ireland. And, and, and a, 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 a man was going along and he carried a rucksack. And somebody passed by him with a cart and said, do jump on. I'll give you a ride. And he said, oh, thanks very much. And this, this man was sitting there with his rucksack on. And, and he, the man said, take your rucksack off. You don't need to carry that. And he said, no, no, no. It's very nice of you to give me a lift. But you can't carry my rucksack as well. <laughs> but isn't it true? Isn't it true? We, we come in prayer, but we still keep the burden on our back why do we do that can I ask a few questions which are and I must admit these are equally relevant to my situation and some of these things are picked up you should have had a leaflet as you came in points to ponder which is something you can take away this coming week a few questions life is sometimes seen as a spiritual journey 
How are you getting on? Are you heading in the right direction? Most of, ex most of us experience hardships of one kind or another. Do they draw you closer to God? Does your faith give you a deep sense of contentment, quite apart from the circumstances you find yourself in? And if not, what's gone wrong? Do other people see the difference your faith makes? If not, why not? And what are you going to do about it? Do you know anybody who is under the cosh and needs your help and encouragement? What is it that you can do to help them? The hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, states, What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Which begs the question, do we carry everything to God in prayer? If not, why not? I do hope and pray that these thoughts will be a challenge and an encouragement to you. And as I say, we'll be singing the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And as the hymn says, may we open up to God in prayer and know his peace and joy in our lives. Amen.